You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these uninspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. One of the biggest challenges for us as we endeavor on this path is coming up with some type of solace in the face of tragedy. How do we find peace when we see the ravages of Mother Nature? How do we find peace when we see a school that has collapsed, wiping out an entire generation of children. How do we find peace in the middle of war? And the answer may surprise because we don't find the peace at all. We will never find peace in the face of that onslaught. We, however, can readily uncover an always already existing peace when tragedy strikes. And we do this by watching what arises. We do this by looking at the images that we see on the news or the accounts that we read in the paper. And we regard those tears and those wails with our full presence, our full attention and in that watching what we start to do is develop an unwavering steadiness this unwavering steadiness is cultivated as we participate fully and consciously in our own experience of the tragedy whether it is happening directly to us, if we are actual victims of the tragedy, or we see distant imagery. If we perceive those people not to be us, but rather, oh, those poor folks, how awful. How awful for them. If we can watch that experience fully, and we can watch in us resistance to what is come up, we can get beyond that resistance, and we can get to the source of that resistance in one move. And that move is non-movement. It's stillness. Tragedy arises. Can you really feel it without indulging it? And without pushing it away, can you be right next to it with complete and total stillness? 
if we can, what happens is that the typical resistance pattern that comes up in the face of tragedy begins to fall away. In that move, we didn't find peace. We uncovered the peace that has always already been there. So to kind of explain this a different way, anytime we have a resistance to anything, anytime we have a resistance to anything, negativity is born. And having a relationship, a very conscious relationship with our own negativity brings us home. It brings us home to spirit, as spirit, through spirit. So resistance to what is. Any resistance we have to what is actually going on. This is a lack of of ease. It is a dis-ease or disease. A disease that we call delusion in this practice. A refusal to accept what is creates a resistance pattern that gives birth to negativity and this negativity is the disease. So when we aren't in alignment with what is really happening we are, in essence, then, in this negativity. And you can feel negativity wake up within us. It is born in all sorts of different ways. It can start off as just a, an irritant. From this irritant, it can go on to all sorts of uh, other stuff, like um, uh, annoyance. It can move then into anger. It can then move into rage. It can then move into a certain misery, a despair, a hopelessness, psychic anguish. It can go anywhere in that vast spectrum of what we might call negativity. And it's none other than just resistance to what is. And the tragedy in this, and also miraculously the true hopefulness in all of this is that what is is all there is. Resisting it is nuts. It's cuckoo. Whatever comes up is there. Can you meet it? <laughs> and there's something in us called an ego that believes that by resisting it forcefully it'll somehow change it. This is the birth of war. In this case, it might be internal, but you get a collectivized group of egos that are all resisting, and you have something really dangerous. So somehow the mind believes that resistance will somehow change the circumstance that we're in. Now, why would this be so? Why would the mind do this? Why would the ego do this? Why would it create this it, massive adherence to this wall or this boundary between us and everything else and resist whatever is hitting that wall instead of just letting it go right through. 
The reason is it gives ego life. Resistance gives ego purpose. Resistance and negativity gives ego food. It's how it survives. And the more negativity, the more it can thrive. The more it can work on building this wall of separation between the perceived I and the perceived you. The perceived us and the perceived them. That's the typical relationship to negativity. Whenever our negativity is a, is a, you know arises, it's usually egoic food, sustenance. Negativity can also show us home. So, what I would propose is that whatever negativity is awakened, whatever resistance we have to what is, whatever in us says no, 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 no we can also look at that as a divine offering to awaken. Negativity is a reminder for each of us to wake up, to be right here, right now, to pay attention, to be alert. The birth of negativity tells us to be totally present with what's coming up. In this way, we can recognize what is at the root of resistance and what is beyond it. If we can be fully there for our resistance patterns, if we can be fully there for our negativity when it awakens, then we in a broader contextual sense can awaken to what is miraculously at its core and beyond negativity. And in that space, beyond negativity, it goes through us. It can just go through us. It can wash through us. It can be, as it should be, an offering it can be a reminder to awaken instead of something to be fought against. So when we go into the core of negativity and beyond it, just by witnessing its arising, we come home. It's a spiritual homecoming of sorts. And we have to be careful about what kind of home we call it because a home implies that there is structure. And the kind of home that I'm talking about actually has no structure. You cannot abide in this home because it's all there is. It's infinity. There's no resistance in this home. There's no structure in this home. And it is so huge that it can hold all of humanity in it. Our little atomized separate self-sense, our ego, finds this home immeasurably uncomfortable because it is insignificant. The walls are just too far apart. There's just too much space there. 
it's much more comfortable fighting against something. At least it can push up against something and know that it has a reason. In this home that I'm talking about, in this infinite space, there's nothing for ego to grab onto. As a result, its insignificance diminishes its impact on our situation and circumstance, whatever that might be. And we give into the vast opening of infinity. Irritation, anger, depression, fear, anxiety, misery, as I mentioned before. All of this in this home can be seen as offerings. They remind us that each and every single occurrence of negativity is an opportunity to meet up with our innate, complete, and perfect awareness. So, in a prescriptive sense, then, can we practice not letting any negativity hit your internal boundary, your I sense, your me-ness? Can we just watch it and let it show us home? Can we not let any other person's unconsciousness hit our internal boundary, our I sense, our me-ness? Can we just watch it and let it show us home? Can we not let any perceived wrong either to ourselves or to another hit our internal boundary hit our ego hit our separate self sense instead can we just watch it and let it show us home because if we can we find this awakened homecoming and in this awakened homecoming we find that we can accept everything, including whatever state of resistance, pain, or war we might find ourselves in at any given moment. And then through this acceptance, we can only exist as non-resistance. And when we exist as non-resistance to everything that is, we walk with enlightened feet as the continually appropriate responses to all that is ever asked of us. And this is how the universe evolves. This is how we become the peace that we want to see in the world. I feel that I'm having a hard time giving feelings and everything enough permanence to feel them, but at the same time not give them so much permanence that I can't let them go in the way that I know I can't hold on to them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, based on the way you describe that there, and I might be wrong, so please help me if I'm wrong, but if you give a feeling permanence, you're giving it a life that it's never had. You're giving it meaning that it can't support. So as a feeling arises, instead of giving it permanence, perhaps the real gift that you can give that feeling is your full attention. Be alert to the feeling. When you are alert to the feeling, the feeling then falls on its own gracefully. It falls away of its own impermanent nature. Its own impermanence manifests itself right in front of your attention. So experience the feeling without grasping. Experience the feeling without clinging to it or turning it into anything other than just a feeling. Recognize fully it, you know, where it's coming from and so forth. Be there for it, okay, with it, but don't get caught by it. You have to give that last, you're the one actually who supplies the hook to getting caught by a feeling. And if you just tenderly bow to the feeling, you know, then the feeling is experienced in a way that doesn't catch on anything, through anything, with anything. And the attentive awareness that you're giving that feeling is spirit. The feet then become saintly. Maybe. <laughs> I guess what I, what I wonder is... It, the way I hear what you're saying, I guess I would say, is that by looking at something for what it is reveals sort of what it isn't. You know, if I look at the feeling as what it is and accept it as what it is, at the same time I see sort of everything else, and that's when it sort of falls in on itself yeah if we study one thing totally we see all things revealed so in the recognition of what the feeling is not we become awakened by all things including that feeling because we see what it is not it's just pain now, the minute I say that, ego starts sending off flares immediately. What do you mean, just pain? Yeah, it hurts. You deny, are you, are you in denial? You know, all that stuff kind of starts coming up. Now, if you deny the pain, that's denial. If you adhere to the pain, turn it into an identity, which is so, that, that's what ego needs to do to sustain itself. Of course, it's going to resist the minute we start looking at our experience with this type of attentiveness. But that, that said brilliantly. So let go of it. Let go of that brilliance, okay? <laughs> so if we have that feeling, 
and we've had it before, or we've been in the same situation before, and so now we start having a feeling because there's a history, irritation, mm -hmm. whatever it is. So we're just supposed to look at that feeling, let go of it, or just be very present in it, except that it's a now happening. But somehow do we not learn from our past experience then? No, you should certainly learn from your past experience, but don't give your past experience permission to cloud the present moment. Okay? You can let it inform, okay, when it becomes practical. But the greatest way for um, our separate self-sense, our eye source, or whatever, whatever you want to call it, our meanness, to become fortified is if it has a story. So if you give a past experience and it sounds something, I'm making this up, but it sounds something like, he always does that he always or he never or if only she could or it right that any of those stories any of those stories merely get in our way of responding appropriately okay respond to what is from a place of non-attachment and in that response, we will find compassion and wisdom mixed in with the way we communicate with this person or this situation. And that response might be filled with tears. But it's coming from a place that isn't defended. It's not resisting. It's not infused with negativity. It's just a response of something that is very, very, very pure. Other egos have a choice in that moment. They're either going to run or their own defenses start to melt when they see a very, very conscious response to something that has happened. This is an incredibly alluring thing. Consciousness is much more powerful, so to speak, than the limited, dense ego. It's light as opposed to density. It's not heavy. And so what happens is when we respond from that heavy place, it can bring out heaviness in others. When we respond from a place of light, it, it's like a magnet for other people's light. It tweaks it. It doesn't always work. But coming from that place allows you to evolve more. And it gives the other person an opportunity to evolve past their sense and your sense of separation into one of deep inclusivity. So I would recommend trying that. Just try it. Whenever the memories come up or the future worries come up, Ego is in charge totally in that moment because ego cannot exist without time. That's why I always blather on about beyond time and beyond mind, there is only spirit.
So take away time from this equation and all you have is the present moment and your response in that present moment, if it is grounded in that groundless ground of the present moment, will be a response that is appropriate and loving, giving, non-negative, non-resistant, open. I could keep going. <laughs> really cool. <laughs> you get the picture. <laughs> Neato. Peachy. Hunky dory. Hunky dory. It rocks. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, I just want to say I really appreciate these talks. It's oh. Really enjoy them. Well, thank you for um, saying so. That's kind. So it's like, what is this ego thing? I mean, I, I see that, you know, it's like it seeks its own identity. It, it wants to prolong its, it, its existence or the illusion of its, of its existence. Yeah. How do we get this way? Is it like, you know, is it like, um, like, you know, Adam eating from that forbidden tree? Yeah, what did he ate from the tree of what? Knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the knowing. It's at that moment, mythologically at least. Right. Um, it's at that moment that we slipped into dualism. This, that, up, down, black, white, yes, no. And in that duality, boundary has to exist, right? Yes, boundary, no. Positive, boundary, net, you know, whatever. And I wouldn't begin to pretend like I know enough about uh, developmental psychology to really give this a hardcore scientific answer, but I, I, so I'll speak from what I do have some uh, taste of. And that is you and I have all of this apparatus, this biological makeup that helps us survive, okay? And we go from that, you know, from that lizard brain forward and in this frontal lobe miraculously we can actually think about thinking and in that thinking about thinking we can then approach this certain self-awareness this consciousness that is bound somewhere here as if I live as I've said before behind my face and everything else is out there so that you, this uh, amazing dualism is born right around two years old or so where it's like okay i'm in here and the rest of the world is out there prior to that we were all one big giant everything was an extension of our ego notice i cry i get fed the world is good right but then suddenly it, sh it shifts and our life from that point on goes more and more, and I mean, if everything works out correctly, more and more and more and more towards building this separate self of sense. And we have even have entire schools of thought that are about, you know, like self-esteem. If we have a lot of self-esteem, and by the way, I'm in favor of good self-esteem, just so everybody knows. <laughs> but self-esteem is really important, okay? In other words, the I am-ness in here, you better take care of that. And you know what? That's true. Because you can't get trans-self or trans-egoic unless the ego is built. 
So we take very good care to build that ego, build that separate self-sense, and then the gift comes. And it shows up continually, it's just we don't recognize it. Every single moment gives us an opportunity to go past that boundary of self into the deep inclusivity or the deep singularity of the all. And we have these quasi-religious experiences and uh, the, the thing that's so difficult about these spiritual experiences is that we cannot put them into words because our language reifies the separation. I felt, mm, instead of just felt, <laughs> whatever it happens to be. So even in the writing, even scripturally, the most sacred religious texts are bound by this duality. So what we're talking about here is what we affectionately term as non-dual spirituality, where you can't reach toward God because you are not separate from God. Indeed, to think we are separate from God is about the most egotistical stance any of us could ever make. Yet there are thousands and thousands of churches, hundreds of wisdom traditions that are predicated on that very notion, the primitive sense of self and its relationship with spirit out there, as opposed to the fundamental recognition that Christ talked about, that the Buddha talked about, that Rumi talked about, that the Kabbalah points toward, that, I mean, that it's not out there, it's what is looking. So can we relax there? So, was that so, a long answer to your brilliantly short question? No, no, no. I'm sure, you know, people, we can go on and on for hours about this, but yeah. I'm thinking, is it, do we get, I mean, th did the human race develop this ego because originally, the original man, you had to have some kind of ego, otherwise you would get eaten by the dinosaur, you know, some something to that effect, like... yeah. Basically, we, we had to have this faculty to delineate between us and what will harm us physically from the outside, like getting eaten by an animal. animal. Mm -hmm. But then we somehow just, as we advance as human beings, kind of like take it to another level. Yeah. It's, yes. Like, um, you know, and a somewhat negative level. Sure. Yeah, the birth, the birth of... The minute we ate that fruit, there was a shift. And having said that, this is not the work about killing ego. If you kill your ego, you don't have awakening. You don't have enlightenment. You have pathology. Ego is good. Ego is helpful. It's helpful in actually cutting its own chains from what is real in us so i think you're probably right yeah i mean it's very nice <laughs> if you don't have a very good sense of what's out there and what's in here you become lunch you know so and the same thing happens in relationship to whatever it is especially another person we can see it readily in another person you're either antisocial or borderline if you don't have a really clear sense, a really clear sense of, wait a minute, this is me 
and that's you. This is my baggage, that's your baggage, so to speak, right? But once we get a pretty clear sense of what that is, then our relationship to our own baggage can change. And when that relationship to our own baggage changes, then we actually invite others to experience that same thing or we attract people that have done the same work. And evolution continues. That's what we're here for. To evolve and make each other and ourselves more conscious. Not to make our other, our other. That means everybody, our other. New word. Not to make each other and ourselves happy. Happy goes away. Consciousness doesn't. 